Are you having a hard time finding a good book to read about Twin Peaks? Did you finish binge-watching Twin Peaks in quarantine, and now you're looking for more? If so, we have the book for you. Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. Based off the popular show from the 1990s, read about the making of each episode from over 100 cast and crew members. This book covers Season 1, Season 2, Firewalk With Me, and Season 3. But wait, there's more! This book has commentary from the community and the host from the wildly popular podcast Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Order now! Supplies are very limited. Go to bluerosemag.com today. Hi, I'm Sherilyn Fenn, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Is she? She's Helena. Its creation started a controversy. You're everything to me. You're nothing to me. Its story ignited a scandal. You had the faintest idea how to make me feel good. On September 3rd. This is unheard of. I love her. You will know why. Rated R starts Friday, September 3rd at a theater near you. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. We have a very, very special episode. It's an anniversary this week. What anniversary would that be? It's the 25th anniversary of Boxing Helena, Jennifer Lynch film. And we were pleasantly surprised when she said she would come on today's show. We are so honored to oh, have her so on. Oh, so honored. I mean, yeah, this is very exciting to have her on to talk about Boxing Helena. So, yeah, we wanted to have you on the show because it's the 25th anniversary of Boxing Helena. And it's so exciting. Can you believe that? I cannot believe it. <laughs> I, it must make us all feel old. I know. I can't believe it. I been know. That. I, I, I was going to have to mention that, uh, you know, it, it, it's weird because I feel like I haven't aged. Yeah. Um, until I hear something like, it's the 25th anniversary of Boxing Helena. <laughs> <laughs> you actually wrote this when you were 19, didn't you? I did. Wow. Can you share with us how this all came about? Absolutely. Well, I was approached at a poetry reading uh, that I read at regularly, and a gentleman asked if I was interested in writing a screenplay. You know, it was, it was not a great uh, storyline, I thought, at first. Hmm. A man so in love with a woman that he removes her appendages and puts her in a box to have sex with her. Yeah. not a good... <laughs> um, it, it didn't really sound like my cup of tea. <laughs> um, but what did sound like my cup of tea was a fairy tale about obsessive love and the removal of things that would take someone away from you. Mm -hmm. And so a story was created based on my own feelings about the Venus de Milo. My grandmother had a replica in her house, and I was often set down at the base of it uh, in my uh, casts. Mm. I had club feet as a baby. And I remember seeing people walk past me and look at her as if she was beautiful, even though she was broken. Mm. And the idea that she had no arms and could not move um, was sort of a seed in my head about how maybe 
Nick in Boxing Helena might feel that, that if he had that statue, it was the only thing that didn't strike him or walk away from him. Yeah. And uh, so I had him create this sort of love story around replicating that. And of course, once he realized that the only way this woman would love him is if he basically disassembled her, that was no longer what he wanted. And uh, he awoke from the dream. That's really wow. cool. You know, your father used the Venus del Milo in the Red Room. Do you think he could have been inspired by your, your grandmother's statue as well? Or he just... It's certainly a possibility. Yeah. Certainly a possibility. What does that statue symbol mean to you? Uh, to me, it means that um, even if we are broken, we can still be beautiful. Oh, hmm. very nice. And, and loved. You know what I mean? That, that it is not perfection that makes us lovable. Something else entirely. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And I'm curious about the timeline. Like, I always just thought, oh, you, you wrote the secret diary of Laura Palmer, and that made you became successful. And then people were like, we want you to make a movie. But this all it took. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> but actually, you were working on this screenplay well before Twin Peaks, right? I mean, this is yes. some. Yeah. So that yeah. is really something. And then how did you get to uh, start directing this? Um, after having written it, uh, the people who read it. Uh, said, you know, you, you need to direct this. And uh, that had not occurred to me while writing it. I don't know quite why, but I guess at that point I was still feeling that words and paintings were my heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that a sense of, of a maternal love for the project and an understanding that it could go terribly wrong if it became a horror film mm-hmm. um, made me want to take care of it as best I could. And I think I had the same feeling that my father expresses that he had, which was the words and the paintings can move if you make them a film. Mm-hmm. I was willing to take the leap because I cared so much for this tiny story. I think that hindsight being twenty twenty. If I knew then what I know now, I would have said, uh, are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't. Right. (laughs) Here we are now. So, yeah. And I imagine (laughs) it helped to be hanging around a set um, when you were growing up and and that you actually did work on some of your dad's films. Absolutely. I had worked on basically all of them. The set is my happy place. If I could live on a set, I would. I consider it one of the most magical places someone can be. You know, at 19, it felt strange to be thinking, I am also a director. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and not that I was told to not feel that way. I just didn't on my own until I found that in doing it, I was home. I didn't realize that you had you were part of Blue Velvet, that you actually was an – I think were, were you your assistant to them, an uncredited yeah, assistant? Yeah, I, I was a production assistant. Yeah. Yeah, and I was also, much like Eraserhead, I was actually in a scene in Blue Velvet and was cut out. Uh, <laughs> and did I hear right that what, – what, was it a soap opera? Is that what I heard? Yeah, it was a soap opera. I was a young woman applying lipstick in a hand mirror on a soap opera. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and that's funny because, uh, you know, in Twin Peaks, I mean, I think Blue Velvet is similar to Twin Peaks. And yes. Twin Peaks has a soap opera in it, too. And it's kind of totally. funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. So it's my first time seeing Boxing Line. I just watched it this past weekend. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and no, I, me and my wife, we watched it. My big question is this. Nick's mom was very fickle towards him. Um yes. Was that the attraction to Helena? Because Helena pushed him away. So the question is, is the dream a mix of his feeling towards his mom and Helena? A hundred percent. I think that his mother's love was something he was always trying to get. And his presence alone upset her and made her feel unhappy. So he was 
familiar with being looked at that way by a woman he loved. Mm. But he also yearned to have the attention of that woman. You know, she was as vicious as Helena to him. It was familiar. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to take away of what my wife had and I had, but we both enjoyed it uh, for what it was. We're like, your hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she had a different takeaway. And it was funny because I was so into the, the main story, what was going on. I, I forgot about the very beginning about him as a boy. And my wife just says, well, it's because the mom was fickle. And that's why I'm like, oh, yeah, like it didn't hit me. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I got it now. And she's like, weren't you paying attention? I'm like, I was, but I forgot. Uh, I just want to tell you, the wife sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were saying to me before that your wife wasn't sure about the ending because it's a dream. Yeah, she, you know, her takeaway was, well, it was a dream. So I don't know how much. I like that. And I was just like, well, I get it because it had to be a dream. I was like, if it wasn't a dream, it would have been very weird. You can't just exactly. take someone's arms and legs off and no blood. And she didn't use the bathroom. She didn't have a catheter. Nothing. <laughs> I was like thinking, I'm like. It's a film, Brennan. I know. But I'm like, it makes more sense as a dream. So yeah. her takeaway was, well, I, I was, she wasn't too thrilled with the dream aspect. Other than that, she liked it. And I was like, I like the dream aspect. To me, it made perfect sense. Well, and I knew I was stepping in something sticky when I, you know, decided that's how it had to end. People uh, frown upon that, and I knew that. But what was true for me was, first of all, what you said, which was, in no world is it okay that someone removes another person's arms and legs and, you know, entraps them in an mm. attempt to get their love. It's just not okay. Not <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. And as well, I was raised in a home where dreams were things that taught us and gave us other ideas and allowed us to do things we otherwise could not do. Yeah. So I never had the, oh, what a fucking bummer. It's a dream. What a <laughs> cop out. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but. The rest of the world definitely, and I had to acknowledge this, definitely experiences that way. Mm. But the way I could sleep at night was by saying, I often have dreams where one minute someone or something is there that I covet. Mm. And I, I suddenly realized that something that would have made it go away is gone. And that is the magic of my dream. What I wanted to do was say, this is a fairy tale yeah. about a lost Prince Charming and a scarred Snow White. And what is the best way to tell a fairy tale? But in very simple beats that are about a lesson and the lesson mm. is you do not gain someone's love by stealing it yeah yeah well, yeah right it, it's almost a metaphor you know i was also thinking like of uh if you're in a bad relationship you're in um a toxic relationship where the person who's a toxic person sometimes will try to steal in a sense not your limbs but try to make you lose your family or friends to mm. gain. Totally hobble you. Yes. Keep you away from others, stop you from going out, stop yeah. you from being you or your full self. And so in that, it is a metaphor. Yeah. That's... You know, the, the, the lessening and the hobbling of someone else so that you can control them or feel that they won't go away. Our fear of abandonment is intense. And mm -hmm. that was really what Nick lived with. He wanted so much to not have people push him away or to go away. And he wanted to be seen and loved. Yeah. And the minute she says, I love you, the minute she says it, he's got to wake up hmm, because yeah. it crushes him. He realizes that once her old boyfriend has come in, Ray, and says, oh, my God, you're you're a fucking monster. Yeah. He sees in her eyes what he's done. Yeah. Wow. And I ju and I knew it was a risk. I knew. You know what I mean? I also thought this would be a movie five people would see and I hope three would like it. <laughs> I had no idea it was going to become 
what it became, how to convey something at a dinner party, and yet you have no idea that dinner party is being filmed and broadcast hmm. via satellite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I admittedly, I feel I did the very best I could at that time to tell that story. Certainly were I to tell it again today, I might make different choices, but I do feel like the people with whom I made that film and all of the struggles we went through, it was an incredible bonding experience. And for its time, I think was a really good challenge for me to be a part of. It's been over 20 years ago that I originally saw the film, and the ending is my favorite part of the dream because you stop and I'm thinking about it. It's like, I need to relook at this film. I need to mm. kind of say what is, what's happening and what's going on with these relationships. So I actually – I love that it was a dream. Yeah, and me I, too. And no, actually, good. Well, and, and I, you know, God, both of you, I'm going to have to send you presents. Um, <laughs> to me, there are some really obvious moments that tell me it's a dream, mm. but I, I'm – curious about why nobody else sees them and i think that's a sort of a, a hollywood film thing but you know for instance when helena is telling him how to make love to a woman when she's naked when she's touched discovered you see that things happen inside of her she opens up That is the greatest look into what he really feels about women and how precious they are. That's not something she's really saying. That's something that comes from in him. And the ridiculously graphic nine and a half weeks type sex that he then shows her. So absolutely a male fantasy of what mm. sex is. Yeah, yeah. It is not, none of that is what I would have shot as a woman. Mm. I was shooting a male's fantasy. What do I want this woman to see me do? It's what a man thinks a woman wants to see. So it was as potent and poetic as he could be in discussing the levels of what a woman is and how she opens up. He was also as inept at, and it, and it, it endeared me to him because he kept tripping and falling over himself. Yeah. To me, I just love exploring the human condition, and it was they were perfect examples. And because I was building it like a fairy tale, each frame being like a page in a storybook, I allowed myself to not always explain everything and not to go too in-depth because I feel that then it took the fairy tale out of it. Yeah. yeah. There's stuff that, you, that the camera did in the movie that made me feel like it could be a dream. There was times where the camera would like tilt up and go past the characters, and there was times where there would be a car and it would just go up into the sky. And I think that you might be the first person who has ever told me they noticed that. Yeah. Cool. And in fact, I'm sure you're the first person. <laughs> 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 what I started to say was I think I'm going to uh, have to hug you in person. Oh, uh, I like that. <laughs> no, that's really nice that yeah. you noticed that. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, for me, one of my favorite scenes, the most powerful scene, was when Nick uh, wheeled Helena out into the Overlook. And uh -huh. it was basically... <laughs> Almost baiting her to yell 
for help, and there was like this, it shows this dynamic of a power struggle. Scream! Scream to those people in that window can hear you! Let me hear you! I can't hear you! Helena was still able to cut him down verbally, even though she had no legs. So (laughs) even though he's got her, she could still rip him apart verbally, and he he, and he's wounded. Um, And then it starts downpouring, and then you know she finally is like, "All right, I'm gonna yell for help," and then he grabs her and takes her away. I I guess my question about the whole scene is, I mean, does the rain had anything uh, more of a meaning to that scene? And do you remember? filming that. I remember it very well. I remember the rain towers. (laughs) And I remember we did uh, essentially one take of the yelling. Oh, wow. It was take one. And it was the same thing with her um, on the table when we first realized she's surrounded by flowers. That was take one. The power dynamic was so interesting between the two of them. And if I just had a conversation with each of them together, and then I'd have a quiet one, you know, with each of them separately beforehand, Hmm. and I just let them go. And I recall very clearly that the rain did what I needed it to do, which was make them both seem completely stripped of any beauty elements or primping. You know, they were both as sort of sad and uh, frail as they could be, but she still took him over. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was just this weird little, um, uh, this might not come off right, but they both looked like um, newborn kittens. Huh. Mm which was just the, the most sort of uh, fragile thing I could see at that time in that setting. I could definitely see that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I, I love that scene. And, the, and then the second one, you have the camera shot from, it's in the hospital. Uh, okay. She's in the hospital bed. At the end and, of the movie? Yeah, at the end, yeah. and Nick yeah. comes in. And you have this awesome shot where you're in the ceiling looking down, and it, almost, it looks like time, like he is there for like a day. You just see the day to night kind of look exactly how how was shooting that scene and i mean like for me that was just showing that he was willing to stand by her even though he was the cause of her getting hit by the car mm. exactly <laughs> he would know his his uh willingness to be there for her and to to make sure that she was okay yeah um was what was most important to me and the the passage of time which is why i did the light gag outside the window as we raised and and lowered the camera was again within that moment to feel that a day and night had passed that we could see from above that she was whole he was sort of childlike and fetal in the chair there yeah it, mm. it's a great shot like you could freeze that and it's a beautiful shot mm. i think thank you so yeah. much yeah. <laughs> so we talk about the cast you want to talk about the cast now brian yeah <laughs> We guys talk about the cast. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila Fenn is amazing. I mean, it, she really is something that the emotions that she goes from from angry to uh, sad. I mean, like to just. I think she did a great job. We talked to her maybe a year, a little over a year ago, and she said she had met you once on Twin Peaks set. My childish attitude was probably. Um, that I was jealous that she was David's daughter and I wasn't. (laughs) Seriously. Jennifer is one of the most brilliant people that I know in my life. I trust her probably more than David because of the woman Mm. thing. You know, she's she's a sister. She's a fellow mother. And I wondered what what you thought of her. 
I, 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 what's amazing is I would say exactly the same thing about her. Yeah. I have so much respect for the bravery she showed. And I very distinctly remember seeing her on the Twin Peaks set. And I also remember us passing each other outside a Twin Peaks party. And we sort of snarled at one another. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then giggled about it while we were working together. I said, oh, my God, look at us both sort of petty, you know, yeah. frightened uh, <laughs> creatures. But I, I think that we formed a good team on that. And she was, she was terrified at times. But she really did trust me, and I and I felt a great responsibility in taking care of that. It's a lot more daunting than people can imagine to be put in a situation where, even as an actor, you have no body to move around. Mm-hmm. You cannot hide behind physical movements. You know, she was literally there wow. and could not, you know, she had only her face and eyes, and it was such a raw space. And she knew that she was playing a character very different from herself, who was excessively cruel, but due to great pain. Hmm. And so we, we, we talked about that a lot. And I just found that she was able to tap into incredible levels of emotion and also take really good care of Helena. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like she, would, she would always say, I feel bad for her right now. I think she's really having a hard time. And it would often be in some of the meanest scenes. But I love that she was approaching it from compassion. I really do consider her one of the most talented and brave actors out there right now. You know, I'd heard all the controversy around the strip. And, you know, at, at first I wasn't interested. And my manager said, just read it. And I couldn't put it down. And then I kind of threw it across the room when I was finished and I was angry, upset and knew I had to do it. Helena is very damaged and clearly very hurt because that pain is always covered with an an anger and I'm going to take care of myself. I think that's actually one of her lines. And I'll never let you care for me. No one ever has and no one ever will. You're not going to take care of me. No one ever has. No one ever will. Metaphorically, the idea of, yes, having a woman in a box. My career is in a box. Any minority can say what box they're in. And the attack that went on her because the other two women backed out or chickened out was ridiculous. We'd had a a tumultuous experience with Madonna having to leave because Andrew Lloyd Webber threatened to take Evita from her if she'd made the film. So we had to, to start all over again, and we started all over again with Kim Basinger. And then, of course, the trial came out of that. By the time we were like, look, we're just going to make this movie, no matter how small, no matter where. And the idea of Sherilyn came up, and I thought, I instantly thought, well, that's interesting. My first thought was a little bit of fear because she had worked so closely with my father. And then the second bit was, well, she's worked with a lot of people, yeah, and she might be a absolutely fucking perfect Helena. And she really fucking was. And she was more that fairy tale goddess than anyone else. And so pure and, and strangely adult, but childlike at the same time. And that to me was everything Helena needed to be. Mm-hmm. I am very grateful to the agents who thought of it. I'm, I'm grateful for her fearlessness. And I think that it, it happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would do the experience a million times over. I love Jennifer. I love the film. For me, I was 14 when this movie came out. Uh, (laughs) I remember a rumbling when I was younger, when the movie did come out, the, the controversies that surrounded it. How did you deal with all that? And did any of the critics or like outside the circle, did they, anybody get it? That you were happy? You were like, oh, you got it. Gene Siskel. Huh. Really liked boxing Helena. 
Wow. That's cool. Uh, Roger Ebert did not. <laughs> surprise, but surprise. He, but he doesn't, he doesn't even like he likes your, your dad's uh, work either. Right? He, he doesn't like he, anything. Yeah, I don't know what he likes. Yeah. <laughs> and Janet Maslin liked boxing, Helena. Cool, cool. That's really but cool. Uh, not many other people did. <laughs> people were very, very, very upset. You know, there was picketing outside the theaters by the National Organization of Women. There was a cover story in the New York Times with a picture from the uh, still from the film and a quote from the head of the National Organization of Women saying basically that I didn't deserve to be loved ever again because wow. I'd made this film. Wow, um, that's crazy. There, it, it really evoked hateful, weird. You know, you don't go to a museum and if you don't like a piece of art, say that the artist def- deserves to be loved. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, so you don't like the art, move on. Wow, you know I mean? like, that's crazy. But there was, it, it really did something to people. It upset them in a way that I wasn't able to address because of so much of the negative press. There was a lot of just putting out fires rather than a conversation. I, what I find most interesting is that now, 25 years later, People are interested in having conversations about it because the the, the heat is off of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wish it had been touted as a fairy tale. I think things would have gone a lot better for it. Yeah. Um, but because it because of the trial and all of the nastiness, it was touted as nine and a half weeks with amputations. Wow. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that it will fail no matter what if you address it that way. And so, you know, it didn't have much of a chance, but it it has a a life and it has a very special place in my heart. And I'm so thrilled that people are still seeing it and talking about it, even negatively. I mean, you know what I mean? I I do think that conversations about things and about art and stories is what makes everything better. So, you know, the fact that I somehow created a dialogue with it, it more than anything else makes me proud. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, every, I I think it's, it's a, a movie worth seeing and yeah. talking about, yeah. Thank me, you. It, it angers me to think that, like, is it a factor that you were a woman director that they, people could attack you more? Like, would they have treated a man director the same way? I I think you, you've absolutely tapped into part of it. I mean, I think that the weird thing was I was called misogynistic. I was called all sorts of things. And, and in my opinion, it's a film where, if anything, the woman is always the strong one. Yeah, She's Definitely. always in in some sort of control, regardless of her situation. And no, it's not a good situation, but she is constantly championing it. Through her actions, she is somehow, although dysfunctionally, teaching this young man a lesson. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just fun sort of image magic to play with and to start a thought process about how are we treating each other consciously and unconsciously? Are we objects? Are we things? Are we Are we other people? You know, do we know how to have a relationship with someone? Do we know why we're attracted to someone? All of those things. You know what I mean? Mm, and that, yeah. That they are looking to a relationship to fix it all, too. That was really very much Nick. His mother has died. Uh, he has the house. And now what he wants is to fix it all by looking normal and being normal and, uh, you know, living what he thinks is the right life. Totally, yeah. definitely, yeah. You know, so the Boxing Helena movie poster looks very much like Ruth Bernhard's 1962 photography in the box. I wondered, which depicted a nude woman in a box. I wondered, you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't Ruth know. Ruth Bernhard, I, I had, I have the photo. It's one of my favorite photos. Uh, we got permission and uh, replicated the shot with Nick on top of the box. Yeah. I was wondering if it was that just marketing that did that or you were aware of her work. Yeah, I was aware of her work. I found that and I said I would love to make sure we, we ask and get permission for this. But that it, I was so struck by the image um, yeah. and that she did not seem miserable there. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it was it was very important to me that it not be, you know, a guy putting a woman in a box and fucking her. That right. Was just, it was crude and it was sort of like, we can watch that almost anywhere now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I just found that uh, less sexy than someone who uh, was attempting to do something psychological with all of it. Totally. So I was in college, what, 94 to 98 or so, and I had a photography class and I did a report on Ruth Bernhard. And I, you know, I did the research and I got this. And looking back now, it's like most likely I was inspired by your movie, most likely. Oh. Most, I, I, as I'm doing the research, it's like, oh, yeah, I think I must have seen your movie and then somehow came across uh, her work. And it was because of you that I was at least interested in this. And I saw it as it, she does beautiful work, really, really something. Exquisite work. Yeah. yeah and it's so pure. Each of her images is so individual and pure. I just really get that feeling from her. And I thought that that it gave me hope that there was a way of portraying the situation that wasn't horrific. And I knew I was going to have to combat a lot of press on the film that wasn't about the film at all. And that that photo evoked in me a strange sense of safety and and yet mystery. Hmm. And I thought maybe it will help people go into the movie not expecting blood and guts and gore. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So I think we're, we're starting to run out of time. I think we have one more question for you, but I hope we can get you back on again because we have so many questions about Twin I Peaks. Would, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. We know your newest project, A Fall from Grace. I don't know if you want to like uh, talk about that. Like it, it went from a short with Bill Pullman, and now you're making a feature with Forrest Whitaker. Well, actually, let me t- let me just give you the down low on all that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope it's good. <laughs> it's a script I wrote many years ago, I want to say about seven years ago now, that I had every intention of bringing to the screen, but uh, there's been a a lot of uh, craziness behind the scenes on that. It Mm. was good to go a while ago, um, and that's why I shot that teaser trailer with Bill Pullman's voiceover. Yeah. Um, We shot that on a very low budget and uh, had my daughter in it, and Bill Pullman did the voiceover, and um, just wanted to create some hype so that we could promote the script and, and hopefully get a production deal, and that worked very well. But I am no longer involved in the project in that way. I'm still writer of it. Oh. Um, but uh, it, the internet should not be saying that I am still currently directing it. Or okay. That, uh, that's, but that's not your fault. That's right. just the fault. That's just how the internet goes right now. Yeah. Can, can you share with us anything that you are working on right now? <laughs> I am um, directing the hell out of television. <laughs> I'm writing another feature. And um, I'm not allowed to talk about it specifically, but I have a new television series that uh, I'll be uh, – a very big part of in the spring. Exciting. That's exciting. You know, yes. b- before we let you go, I just wanted to say my favorite episodes that you directed of The Walking Dead. Um, oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> when I saw your name, I think you did one of the first episodes of one of the seasons of mid-season, and it was like the, the table, it was like a long shot, had the table, and you just let it play out. Mm. And I'm like, this Aww. was, it was perfect <laughs> for that type of show. And then I see your name again show up in season two of Jessica Jones. And I'm like, oh, my uh-huh. God, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just been having such a good time working in television. I really have. And I have learned so much about so much. Yeah. And now um, have the opportunity after all these years to uh, help develop and create a show that I get to be a part of of my own. So it's uh, – awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I do think that film is, is uh, on its way back as far as uh, – things other than the blockbusters yeah Yeah. but i think that for now there is a a tremendous gift in television because great ideas are being expressed 
beautiful stories are being told and the, the level of voyeurism in one's own home, the idea that these people now are in our bedrooms is uh, really an interesting tool to use in the in this telling of things. Totally. So, yeah. you know, knowing that people might be in their underwear when they're watching is something <laughs> I like to keep in mind. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so excited to hear this because, you know, Mike, one of my questions was, I'm like, you should be directing a whole series of something, or you should be part of a TV because right. you're so good so, at oh, those episodes. So <laughs> American Horror <laughs> Story, you. you did the final episode of last season, yeah. and that yep, was fantastic. I just finished another one of this season. Ooh, wow. that's a that's yeah. a great series. So we'll we'll yeah. get you back on the show again. We got to talk more. About yeah, we want to talk the Laura Palmer's secret diary with yes. you. Oh, I would but, love to talk about that. Thanks. I really, really would. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for your time. Yeah. And, and and happy 25th anniversary. Thank you so much, and, and uh, I cannot tell you what it means to me to have you guys want to talk to me, and, and uh, I think that uh, you've just made my day. I really appreciate it. Oh. And you it. made our day. Yeah, so. you, made our, you made our week. <laughs> this was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jennifer Lynch, for being on today's show. I'm on cloud nine. This has made my month. It is so awesome. You couldn't ask for anything better to be able to talk to the director of of this film and to get a better insight about Boxing Helena. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that to actually get to talk to the director about this. And I, and it was so exciting to hear that both of our thoughts were right about them, all these different things that we thought about the film. So, I mean, it, it's so special. Very special. And we hope to have her on in a future episode. She did say she would love to talk about the diary. Yeah, so we got to talk about we got some Twin Peaks talk. To, yeah, well, man, what an episode! What a what an interview, Ben. I, I just can't get over yeah, it. Yeah, Jen Lynch is is she's something else. I mean, I think she, I think she's a wonderful human being. I didn't even get to tell her like how glowing I think she is. Like I love her Instagram page, and she's always sharing her photography, mm. and and she just has a great attitude. And I yeah. think, I think she, I know she always says blessed, or she always just says something where like. She appreciates what she has in life, and 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 she seems like she's uh doing so good right now. She's got all these even TV shows, these really great TV shows she's been directing, and I'm excited about her future project. I know that's a scoop for us. Yeah, it's a scoop, but we don't know what the project is. But it's still a scoop that it's she's gonna be part of something cool. Yeah, right. I mean, we probably only have what six months or so, and maybe yeah. we get to find, we'll find out. out. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Out right now. Please support these guys. The Blue Rose Magazine, the Woman of Lynch. It is. Fantastic! What a beautiful magazine. What I mean, g- getting that and seeing that glossy finish for all the Lynch women, it, it was something else. And the essays. The essays are something to behold. I was, I, I was in denial. I did not believe they were going to be able to fit 40 essays into this one They proved magazine. you wrong. They proved me wrong. They squeezed it all in. Yeah. That was yeah. impressive. Very impressive. Congratulations for getting that out. And I, yeah, please support them. I mean, like, we have, we have so many different projects. I know people are into Twin Peaks, but Blue Rose Magazine, man, they really have outdone themselves. They really deserve your support. If, if you can't subscribe, at least get this issue. Yeah, it's a collector's item. Yeah. Once it's gone, they can't afford to print these things, like, forever. Right. So once they're gone, they're gone. Get it now. And there is a, a short uh, Cheryl Lee interview in there. They also have an interview with Sabrina Sutherland. Yes. And uh, there's so much good stuff in there. I don't know how they could pack it all into one issue. I yeah. think it, you're missing out if you don't get it. You know, Scott's always telling me about how, lecturing us, like, oh, you should do less shows, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to lecture Scott. If you're listening, Scott, you should have broken this issue up into multiple uh, issues. <laughs> like, you put too much into one issue. You guys are going to burn yourselves out. No. <laughs> it was really good, though. It's something yeah. up. Get it now. Get it now while you can. BlueRoseMag.com. Uh, can't stress this enough. And if you like it, subscribe. So do that now while you still can. But we got to get out of here. 
If you got a comment, a question, or a theory, or a thought about today's show, please give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. We will do our best to answer you or read it on a future episode. And please uh, like us on the old Facebook. I appreciate all the comments and the messages, um, the heads up about what's going on in, in the community. I love it. Thank you so much. Ben, he's always on the Twitter universe, the Twitter, the Twitter sphere, as they call it. Uh, at Twin it's a Peaks great place. Yeah, and, and Twitter is kicking butt. It's, oh, yeah. Love yeah. that place. Yeah. And I say hi to the 25 Years Later site people. They are great. They are always putting out great content. I would recommend you go check out 25yearslatersite.com and see all the great articles that they're doing. They're our partners, our friends, and they do some great work. And to tease a future episode, we'll be doing something with uh, Twin Pete's very shortly. Ah, Twin Pete's. We're going to work with them. We're going to partner up. We're going to partner up. It might be a split podcast article sort of thing. Something that uh, Connor Esperado did. Yeah, I copied them. (laughs) I have no shame in saying that. It's a great idea, Connor Esperado, and I stole it. Should I edit this out? No. We love Connor Esperanto. We do love you guys. Yeah. Put out more podcasts. Yeah. We're calling out like all these people. We're telling <laughs> Scott Ryan to take a break and Connor Esperanto to get back on the ball. Exactly. They've got back on the ball. They're, they're awesome. Their interview they did with Rob King was really great. It was awesome. I yeah. loved it. So we're out of here. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you next week. So we went and had coffee, and we met with Ed Harris, who was already set to do it, but hmm. he said, I have to pull out because if I'm in it, then it becomes really about an older man who's obsessed with a younger woman, uh, and that's not what this story should be. Right. And do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like that's what would have happened if he had taken part no, of it? No, I wanted Ed Harris to <laughs> <have done> it. <laughs>